Welcome to Beyond, conversations with artists, makers, explorers who have gone outside of the norm to create their own true world, to sing their own precious song. Each of us is born with a song inside, but most will die having never sung it. Imagine if, as a little child, instead of being asked, what will you do when you grow up? What will you be? Or what kind of job will you get when you grow up? If instead you are told, now is the time to listen. As you grow, listen for the sounds of your song. The song that comes from your blood, your bones, your people. Listen for the melody, the verses, the tune. And when you hear your song, sing it. Imagine that kind of world. That's the kind of world I'm devoted to building. I am your host, Daphne Cohn, the creator of multiple online programs, courses, and within a community for artists, makers, and writers dedicated to the courage and practice of singing their own song. I ask you, are you ready to sing your own song? Are you ready to go beyond? My guest today is Jess Shear. Jess is a business strategist who supports indigenous leaders and earth keepers with powerful vision for the world, helping them to bring their message to the masses. In this conversation, Jess speaks about many things, about the unshakable stability of the inner world and our connection to all things, how she began to experience a deep peace while following what she most longed for. We talk about how to deepen the connection to your roots and inner freedom and connecting to the invisible world where spirit lies, what to do when you're being called to go against everything you know. But more than anything, I was struck by our conversation around dreams, the ones of the day from which we create new worlds and the ones of the night that guide our life direction and intuitive action. How we can use our dreams of the day to bring the world we desire into existence and how we can turn to the dreams of the night as a source of spiritual guidance, allowing us to become our own leaders. Something is changing in me because of what I learned in this one conversation with Jess. It's amazing how anything at any time can truly change a life. And Jess will be joining me and the members of Within for a more intimate conversation in November on the theme of reciprocity, something that we also touch on in this conversation. You can learn more about Jess at sayyeswithjess.com and you can learn more about the Dream World program that we talk about at dreamworldprogram.com and you can join me and the artists, makers, and writers of Within for an intimate Q&A with Jess over at within-online.com. May this conversation inspire you to go within to the raw, wild expanse of mystery that is your beating heart, vibrating body, pulsing life, in order to go beyond, to utter the sacred, your words, dance, painting, art, to sing your song. Welcome, Jess, to Beyond, the podcast. It's really wonderful to have you. Thank you, Daphne. So happy to be here. I am beginning with something that you actually shared very recently on Instagram because it, it grabbed me and you wrote this in 2019 and 
but posted it to Instagram recently because you wrote that it feels as true today as when you wrote it a while ago. And so I'm going to read, read what you wrote and then ask some questions from there. A year and a half, I have been preparing for this moment, a moment when the future is really unknown. A year and a half, I have practiced living day to day, changing locations, following my intuitive voice, listening to the guidance of spirit and earth to show me the way. When I embarked on this nomadic journey, the words alone and unknown were how I felt. Many moments of I don't know, feeling it all, surrendering to the unknown. This path has led me to new places, new people, new languages, learning and simultaneously unlearning. Now we are here, so many months later, and the whole world is meeting in this place. So long are the days of known. So long are the days of known. Everything is changing. I can feel the new resonance, the new frequency landing. It's like a bunch of cells finding a new equilibrium, feeling the instability of the fragile world we humans have created falling away and discovering a new stability in the inner world, the unshakable world. And there's many reasons that this spoke to me. And I'll start actually with the end, which is this stability in the inner world, the unshakable world. I would love for you to speak to this experience, your own experience around the unshakableness of this world, because in particular, there is a, we face often on a very regular basis, a lot of anxiety, doubts, fears, and believe that they come from inside. But what I hear you saying here is in this inner world, this is where the stability lies. So can you speak to your experience around that? Sure. I would love to. I feel like I've been in dialogue with this on a daily basis, very much <laughs> these days and, and for a long time. And it was beautiful to refine this writings because as you mentioned, I did write it quite a while ago and it totally, and hearing you read it back to me, totally still resonates. I think for me, something that I very much realized without a conscious knowing of why, but an intuitive guidance was to slowly let go of my attachment to the material world thing. So by that, I mean, societally, in most cultures, we're kind of taught to find our stability, our roots, our base in physical things like a home, um, like our clothes, like money, having those, having a job, a partner and feeling like when I have those things, I will feel well, I will feel I have it. I'm solid. I'm stable. And through the pandemic, we kind of as a collective received this opportunity to realize that's not necessarily true because if in one day, so much of those things can get ripped away or taken away or disappear, or if one day our, you know, home vanishes or we can't travel or we can't be next to physically the ones that we love or our currency collapses, what, where is the stability? That's clearly not the stability because somebody can take it away. 
And what can't be taken away is our inner world. And so it's interesting to hear you say things like anxiety or some of those um, energies because they move through us, which is beautiful, but they're not who we are. We get to experience them. So we can experience excitement. We can experience sadness. It's an energy that flows through us, um, but it's not, it doesn't necessarily define us. And for me, what I've been cultivating and learning and especially learning what, through working with many indigenous communities is that our inner world, the unshakable world, I like to also say the invisible world is where spirit lies, where you can't physically touch it. Nobody can rip it away. Nobody can take it away. Um, we can't actually see it, but it's a feeling. It's the knowing of it's our dream space. It's our meditation space. It's the peace that we feel. In many communities, that is more valued than pretty much anything else. And in that space, also understanding the deep interconnectivity that we are with all beings, visible and invisible. It's our interconnectivity with the well-being of the natural world around us, the plant world the spirit world, those who've transcended, those who are not yet born, kind of this woven thread of time, which feels really intangible, can feel really magical, mystical, etc. But when we can deepen our connection to that and begin to find our stability, or from my perspective, find our stability in that space is when we can truly feel our roots, we can feel the deep sense of peace, and connection, which I think is what we're all after. Ultimately, we've just been looking in different places to feel that. And that's uniquely personal, but it's also kind of where the roots of all religion and all spiritual practices lie. And so many of us now are stepping into that and finding that path through different ways, through, through circumstances, through practice, even through podcasts. So, okay. There's a lot of things actually. <laughs> I'll start with your personal experience of this and then go broader. But I'm really fascinated by how you've started to dismantle that because the conditioning is so deep. And the way we, at least in this Western culture, find belonging is often through these external things, by displaying these external things, by by showing people that we've somehow figured this thing out called life by the house that we have or the money that we have, the cars we drive. And so how, what has that process looked like for you to pull apart the threads of that conditioning and find something deeper and truer that is yours? That process has been a long, fun and windy road. <laughs> and I would say it started with, I don't think I've ever quite felt so comfortable in quote unquote normal society. I've done a great job through my childhood and teenage years and college years to be social and get along and fit in and survive. But I don't feel like I ever felt a deep peace and thrived in that space. And in my early 20s, I'm 31 now, in my early 20s, I met, I, I've always have had a strong connection to my intuition. I haven't always listened to it, but I always have known my mom used to use the word gut feeling a lot growing up. And that always resonated with me of feeling 
kind of receiving these messages of like, do this, don't do this. And I have always actually trusted that. And in my early 20s, I knew I couldn't get, there was something in me, every time I applied for a job, I would feel literally sick. And I knew deep down, I was like, well, I should be excited. If I'm feeling terrible, it's probably a no. And didn't really know where to turn and eventually came to the realization of the answers are within me, but I don't quite know how to access them. And I ended up finding a really powerful teacher named Laura Hames Franklin and worked alongside her for many years. And I feel like through Laura practiced several modalities, one being called body talk and another Franklin method. And these different modalities really support us as humans to quiet the mind and say, instead of asking our active mind, like, what's the solution to this or what's not working here, letting our body speak and letting the quiet subconscious layer come to the surface. And through that process, very slowly, I started feeling such a deep peace and that feeling guided me. And it wasn't necessarily the easiest process, but I think over a period of years of committing to myself and my the physical feeling of freedom, of softness, of ease, not based on any actions I'm taking, but like, how do I actually feel that on a daily basis and what practices support me, got me strong enough to the point where probably I would around 2018, I would say three, four years ago, maybe, I just made a true commitment to myself that I will always follow my inner guidance and intuition, even if my mind has no idea what that is. But I know in my depths, both scientifically and also spiritually, there's much to show that we are connected to the infinite web of information. We haven't been trained to access that. That's not what we learn in school is how to tap into that intuition, how to tap into this infinite web of knowledge, but we can learn it. And so through my process of diving into that, tapping into that and knowing if I connect to that, I might not be able to mentally understand, but I will always be guided. I will be guided on my unique path that might look really different than most other people, but that's what will work for me. And if I resist it and if I push back and if I keep trying to be the normal type person, I will be, I will cause my own suffering and don't want to do that. And so my process of following the yes. So my, my business name is say yes with Jess. And that started actually as a kind of inside message with myself, which is when you say like yes to life, life will say yes to you. When you say yes to following your intuition, it will mirror back and reflect that to you. And that has been, it, it still proves true. So whenever my mind wants to, you know, to pick a different path, I'm like, well, if I look back, I can see that it's always that that intuition, that that guidance, that that quietness has always guided me in the right path. And that guided me to in many different practices, but doing a few years of doing no shopping, um, doing a few years of no makeup, no nail polish, I'm still doing that, you know, little tiny things, but for me felt really true as a way to practice releasing these external programmings and has also led me to ultimately working with 
many indigenous communities, giving up my apartment in New York City, living out of a backpack, being nomadic, spending time in cultures where there's a lot of new information, new practices, um, new forms of experiencing spirituality and new forms of experiencing the invisible world and saying yes to those things and leaning into them. I want to get into, and we will, to the invisible world and the dream space. And I want to, um, but first, this whole process, you know, there's there's one aspect of it that you're talking about, like not wearing makeup and nail polish and and not buying things and giving up your apartment. And those are can be massive steps for some people, smaller steps for others is really um, you know, there's steps. And then, and there, are, those are external manifestations. It sounds like of this internal shift. And as you are listening and following both your internal world and that of the invisible world, what happens when it's like, it feels like it's one thing to say, okay, I'm not going to wear makeup. It's another thing to say, and this is not to devalue one or place one higher than the other. It's just the way the phrasing of this question, but, and there's another, another thing that comes up of, um, this is what I feel most called to do. Even if it's just in this moment, this is what I feel most called to do. And it goes so against everything that I've been taught to then honor that like what does that look like for you it's just doing it it actually is so simple i think that there's a lot of times we including myself we all complicate things a lot and kind of create this internal battle inside and i think that i've just been practicing for so many years to flex the muscle of regardless of what that internal battle is i will always follow the guidance mm. It's beautiful. I love that. I love that you bring it down to it's just doing it because <laughs> I do I do have a tendency to complicate things in my own mind. And that's also the beauty of what you're speaking of, of coming into the body, of letting the body answer the questions. Like this is something that I've been thinking about a lot of the mind asking the questions, because I think the mind is really brilliant at coming up with amazing questions and then allowing the body to live into whatever the answer is. So the other thing that you mentioned in the, in this writing was listening to the guidance of spirit and earth. How, how does that fact, like, what does that look like? Because again, this is, yes, there's what you're feeling. There's the gut feeling, and then there's the guidance of spirit and earth. What does that look like? So I've been like, how many things can I say at one time? <laughs> There's the version. It's interesting hearing those words back. I know what my interpretation of it was when I wrote that. And I also know how there's such a deeper layer that has come in the last um, year and a half since that was written. So on the one hand, I feel that the earth is always communicating to us. And I think a lot of how I see that is is through different teachers, especially those who are older um, in many cultures. And I think we can see that through natural disasters, 
well, we're terming them natural disasters, but these kind of giant phenomenons that happen all of the time, these through a sunset, through a rainstorm, through the elements, there's always a communication and our societal programming is let me try to control that and just keep trudging forth versus saying, hey, what's the message here? And I feel that the pandemic, especially in the beginning, that was such a deep, deep, deep message for me is there is a bigger message that's happening right now that we haven't quite been listening to. So I also, to bring it back to the body, I often think of things as like when we get injured, there's different levels of injury. So a lot of times, whenever I get some form of an injury could be like cutting my finger or stepping on a sea urchin or something that's tiny, but it stops you in your tracks or a minor car crash, something like that. I always think to myself, why would the universe be giving me an opportunity to stop? Why would the universe give me an opportunity where I can't type right now or I can't really walk (laughs) or, you know, I have to handle this thing. And so usually when that happens, I take the time to go really quiet and not necessarily to try to search for the answer per se, but to listen and say, instead of, you know, maybe there was already a more subtle message coming and I wasn't listening and it came, I was just so busy moving through my life and whatnot that I wasn't listening to a guidance. So there's something that came and kind of stopped me in my tracks, not in a terrible way where I'm totally thrown off for months and months and months, but in a subtle way where I can actually take the time to pause. And I know many cultures view illness in that way. It's just saying something's out of balance in the mind, spirituality, um, everything. And in many cultures that I've connected to there, it really comes to equilibrium. Are we in equilibrium? So an illness is just saying something's out of balance. And what do we need to see to bring it back into balance? And I think of that often on a global scale, and especially with nature, the natural world, a rainstorm could be seen as a minor cut and maybe a tornado or a hurricane, a major hurricane is like breaking your leg or something more like maybe we weren't listening to the more subtle messages. So a giant message needed to come for us to listen, to stop and pause and listen. And from another perspective, which I think is where more I'm moving into is understanding that we are nature. So it's also, there's no separation of there's me and then there's nature and then there's animals. Like the world around us is us. We are the tree, the tree is me. And my, all of our wellness is intertwined. We are interbeing. So from the sense of, I think a lot of times I've, and and it's, kind of the beauty of being a human is being so individualistic. And I think especially for me growing up in the United States, it's definitely a culture that doesn't really think in terms of the tribe or the community well-being, but really thinks on the personal level. So I think, you know, me growing up, I would say as a millennial growing up in the greater New York area, there's so much focus on, I want to feel happy. I want to feel joy. You know, what can I do to better my life without thinking about the whole. And a lot of times I remember when I think to myself, Hey, if I'm feeling this wave of anxiety or sadness or whatever, I'm a part of the collective. I'm a part of the collective of humanity. I'm also a part of nature. So if nature is suffering, if mother earth is being stabbed every day or crying or however we want to look at it, that is also me. Like we are totally intertwined and 
that is a deeply evolving concept experience embodiment that I'm going through. But I feel like it's something that we all need to be. I think it's basically part of the rest of our lives. I don't think I think we kind of reached this moment in time where one chapter happened. And now from here going forth, this will continue to be we've been living this pandemic reality, but separate to that pretty much almost every single week, at a minimum one, if not many around the world, quote unquote, disasters or challenges have been happening. And that's not going to stop. And that might be if I'm going to live another 60 years on this planet, that could be the rest of my life. So how do we continue to exist in the world and feel our own vibrancy, our own joy, our own mission, et cetera, while also knowing that we are directly interconnected with this greater space around us and specifically mother mother earth our our mother where we came from where we're going to eventually go and so yeah there's yeah. no okay. more i can say i'll stop there <laughs> okay so i have a running list just so you know things we will get to so <laughs> these will not i know that we'll come back to them because they feel really important and one of them is actually the last thing you just said and i have a feeling that some of them are going to kind of weave their way together I want to underline one thing you said, which was that you go into this quiet space, not searching for the answer, but to listen. And I, I think that is part of this new chapter that you're talking about is like this last chapter was all about finding the answers. And there's something so different about going in to listen and to be in relationship with it's, I'll just say this, this one caveat, because there was a long period of time where I like, I just didn't cry very much. And then like in the last year or two, where I've connected a lot more deeply with my body, it's like tears come very easily. So if you hear me crying, it's because I'm just moved. And I'm when something feels true in my body, that seems to be the way that um, I respond. So what you're saying is, is just really, it's very moving. So one thing I, I wanted to go a little deeper into this whole part of, of this connection of, of how, when we feel the anxiety, that it's also the anxiety that if to know that I am the tree, that I am the water, the wind, that I am my neighbor, that I am that all of these different aspects of life and so that when I feel that anxiety, it isn't just my anxiety that I'm feeling and this, this way of being connected. And so there's two things that you said that I, I want to read and then go from there. This is when you were talking about what you learned from the forest. And you said, and, and we will get into the, the path that your life has taken you and the work that you're doing now, because that is hugely hugely important and also just something I really want to have a conversation around. But you say, life goes on, life lives. The spirit of the forest is the dominating force, truly understanding what abundance is. Life is growth. Life is interconnectivity. Life is the river. Life is all the trees, insects, all the subtleties. And then at another point, you said something you said the material world, the spiritual world, the day world, the night world is an illusion. It's an important illusion, illusion to share because of how our constructs are, but understanding that the world is one, the world is forest, 
The forest is only the forest because it's made up of water, of wind, the sun, the trees, the critters, the animals, and all the layers of life interbeing, understanding that the world is a great network of life. And so living with that, I guess the first question that I have, which seems like an almost absurd question because it's so big, but you'll do with it whatever. You could take it wherever you want. Um, how does that impact you in knowing your place in things? Like we tend to think of human, we've been taught through through our religion, through our government, through all these different things in Western culture, again, that human is like at the top and somehow disconnected from all that is around it. So how does that change what you do in the world to under in understanding your place in, in, in the world and of the world? Firstly, I'll say that it has brought me so much peace and continues to bring me so much peace, which I love <laughs> because I think that I'm a seeking person. I've always been, I've always been asking deep questions and people have said since I was a little kid, I'm an old soul and those, you know, those concepts. And I think for me, this is such a simple concept. The, the world is the forest and seeing the interconnectivity, but truly starting to feel it. And especially having spent time in the Amazon this past year, it brings me so much comfort and humbleness to know that I'm just this being a part of this giant network and that I'm not alone. And I think that often, and it's interesting, the first thing that we shared was a writing that I wrote called Alone and Unknown. I think often as humans, and especially with this technological age and this pandemic, social distance, all that stuff, we feel really alone. And this process of tapping into the invisible world and also tapping into the network of life has brought me so much connection because I can look around, even as I'm sharing this, we're doing this conversation, I'm at the beach by myself. No one else is here. When I look around in the space that I'm in, everything truly has life. Everything has a spirit. Depending on who you're talking to, they'll say this, you know, this garbage woven basket is a spirit. This lamp has a spirit. This home has a spirit. There's guardians and protectors of this land that have always been here. There are spirits that live in this space. The plants that are outside my window have a spirit and are alive. And on some level, it brings me so much peace and comfort to know that I am in community. I might not be able to speak words or exchange words and have them exchanged back to me. It's quiet. It's a very quiet relationship, but we are con we're connected regardless. And I think that in terms of understanding how that's necessarily impacted my work or my life, et cetera, I think the greatest gift is it's just a shift in perspective and a shift in understanding. I, I am also, I've been nomadic for the last three years. And one of the greatest gifts I've received was in my, let's say second week of traveling was in Guatemala and witnessing a Mayan fire ceremony and ended up studying with um, was my spiritual guide. And every time he took me to a new place, he would give an offering on my behalf. He would literally give to the cave. Let's say we went to a cave or went to a forest. He would give a candle. He would, and out loud, he would say, he would introduce me like a guest as if we we're walking into somebody's house. He would say, this is Jessica Shear. 
She comes from this land. Here's her intention for being here. Please protect her. Please guide her. Please give her the wisdom that she needs on her journey and her life and and give this gift. And I've continued that practice ever since this morning. I gave a little drink of cacao. I love drinking cacao and I poured myself my cup and I poured a teeny cup for the land that I'm on and gave a little drink to the the earthworm saying. And just knowing that reciprocity, that dynamic relationship, I like to truly think of it. And I think it's easy for us to imagine if I was, let's say, coming to your house, Daphne, I've never been in your home before. I'd probably introduce myself when I walk in or I'd maybe bring you a bottle of wine or flowers or something. I wouldn't just barge into your house, ignore you and make myself feel right at home. There would be an exchange. And I think of that all the time with the spaces around around us. And because I have this chance to move very regularly, both in spaces that are my own, like my parents' house or my sister's home or many new places, I always, before going to bed or as soon as I arrive or at some point, introduce myself to the physical space. So let's say the apartment or the home or the land or the beach and create that partnership. And I feel it brings such a beautiful inner world feeling of the day allowing myself to lean into that dynamic relationship. And I also have been the recipient of a lot of blessings and a lot of protection and guidance and wonderful things that have unfolded in my life that I do feel are a direct response and connection to that gratitude, that reciprocity, the offering and choosing to be in a relationship in the world around me, that's not just with the humans, but truly with the everythingness. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful. And I think uh, it's, it's interesting because my husband was sharing this story with me the other day about this well, and I won't go into the whole story, but it was, it was a beautiful story about reciprocity between humans and the well. And what I was most struck by in the story was how much more is available to us when we enter into relationship with everything, like how that can change our entire experience of being a human. And to hear you speak about it, I love love this way of introducing you to everything and and setting that intention and asking for the blessing and, and really just being in, it just keeps coming back to being in relationship with. And so I want to actually take that and move that into the work, a lot of the work that you're doing now. So we haven't really even talked about your work and you're a business strategist, which is an interesting thing to bring into the conversation right now, because (laughs) (laughs) it seems like, how do these fit? How does this fit? So I will start by zooming back and sharing. As I mentioned before, I could never bring myself to have any conventional jobs. I could never sit in front of a computer office or have a boss. And where that led me in my early 20s was to the online business world. And it cracked open so much for me because it felt like freedom and the permission to just exist in the world in whatever way I want. And so I dove pretty much full into the online marketing world and the community that I connected to were female entrepreneurs, digital nomads, 
um, a lot of people in the health and wellness industry. I ended up spending a few years working with Laura Hames Franklin, who I mentioned earlier. So most of the people I was focusing on the business side of things because that just naturally felt like a gift of mine. But the the work was always connected to well-being, growth, development, the body, our mind, etc. And when I started this nomadic chapter of my life, I spent a lot of time, I've spent so many years help supporting people to grow businesses and do all these different things, but I never quite did that for myself because it never felt true to me. I never wanted to talk about marketing or talk about any of the things that I actually was doing. And I also, part of me felt like, is this so shallow? Am I, should I be spending my life's work or my, you know, all this time and energy focusing on social media, websites, marketing, et cetera. And actually it was when I started traveling and stepping into this. Well, firstly, I want to pay a ton of gratitude to that process because it allowed me to start my own business and work remotely and allowed me the financial freedom to be able to travel. And in that process, I also had a huge transformation in accepting myself and realizing that it's totally perfect and beautiful that I was born as Jessica Shear at this age to these parents, to this country as a millennial, as somebody that naturally has an affinity for technology and sees visions and communications and has these has been given these gifts and skills and also has an affinity for caring about the planet or learning about other cultures or learning about this inner world. And when I started learning, there's one prophecy that I learned um, called the prophecy of the eagle and condor, which in the simplest way shares that around this time in humanity, that there was a cycle of humanity about 500 years. That was the time of the condor people, more of the heart um, of the earth, et cetera, that they were the reigning people than the time of the eagle people more of the mind, worker bees, Western culture, et cetera, and that they took over almost to the point of extinction of the other group, but not quite. And that basically we are now in this time in the world where in order for both groups to succeed, we need to fly together. The eagle and the condor need to fly together. And when I heard that prophecy, it really just changed my life. And I feel like it supported me to realize that I don't need to reject my gifts. I actually can really embrace them and embrace that this is something that has been gifted to me um, and that I can use that in whatever way I want. And I can use that to sell X, Y, and Z, or I can use that to support the earth and promote a message that can really be transformative for all, all beings. And through, so to fast forward right now, for many years and the beginning of my nomadic years, I was working more, I would say, with health coaches, life coaches, things that that really beautiful people. And I love that. And then about almost exactly two years ago, I was at a retreat with my mentor, John Perkins, and he led the group through a visualization exercise that took us to a place of when you're on your deathbed and you look back at your life, what will you feel proud that you did? And through that visualization, I saw the vision of, I want to embrace these gifts that I have, but I would like to use, and I would like to use them to be a steward of the earth and to help spread the messages that I've benefited so much from, from 
these various indigenous communities or not just indigenous communities, different thought leaders, teachers that can be a representation of a, a better, brighter future, changing the dream of the planet, changing the dream of humanity. And very quickly, I had no idea how, and it really scared me. So I was like, okay, all of my income is coming from this other arena. How's this going to happen? But even I think speaking it out loud, I think after that visualization, my parents joined me at that retreat. I spoke it to my dad and I said, I think I'll give myself nine months to call this in. And literally within a month, um, everything changed. And one of the big changes that happened is I met a wonderful human called Minari Ushigwa, and he is a spiritual and political leader of the Sapara Nation, uh, one of the 11 indigenous communities in the Ecuadorian Amazon. And he, we met specifically because another client of mine who I was working with on online marketing and building out a social media brand introduced me to Minari and said, hey, this is Jessica who's helping me with my Instagram. And Minari then looked at me and said, can you help me with mine? And that opened that opened our space. And he and I have been working together for the last year and a half, basically since the start of the pandemic on building out a whole new business model, which is manifesting the dream that I had of how do I bridge these worlds? How do I myself be a bridge between um, online business, online marketing, online education, alternative ways of getting education, through the computer to you know wherever you are not needing to travel to access certain teachings and bridge that with these really amazing teachers and ancestral wisdom and non-colonial non-colonized ways of thinking and seeing the world and really the invisible world how do we how can we share that through an online space and what that's looking like and it's continuing to evolve and unfold every day but with uh, with Minari, he and I launched a year, a little over a year ago, and with the support of our good friend Florencia Friedman, a dream course. So a program, a four week program to support people in deepening their relationships with their dreams, specifically from the perspective, from the cosmovision of the Sapara. And that is still going strong and has been absolutely incredible and truly a dream to be a part of bringing that into the world because it has changed my life, um, deepening my practice to dreams. And also I can see how much of a ripple it's creating in the world. And my vision is that that will continue to expand. So Minari and I can create more things together, but potentially this could be a model for other cultures, other indigenous teachers, wisdom, etc., to be able to be shared in an online medium. I can't say with 100% certainty, but I haven't seen anything else like this. So I really do feel like it's revolutionary on some level and it's something that's so needed. And yes, I will pause and let, yeah, well, let whatever else flow, flow. Yeah, there is a story that, and I think it's really important that this piece of the story be told where that you had shared around Minari and how it was that he came to want to be in the online world. And so that it feels like, okay, yeah, this is a true partnership. This, yeah. 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 So there's so much I can say there. One, Minari himself was raised as a nomad in the jungle. So technology is a new concept 
for him, for his community, but his community and many indigenous communities are fully embracing technology because they understand in the same way that I'm saying that we're totally interlinked with Mother Earth, we are also totally interlinked with his culture deep within the Amazon rainforest. Our survival depends on them and their survival depends on us. And they know that if they stay hidden in the jungle, some oil company is going to dig up their land, they're gone. And, you know, we have, they have no chance because people in the outside world want oil, want logging, you know, want the materials made from their, the resources that live in their territory. And so it's, so deeply vital and important to them that they are a part of sharing this knowledge and changing the dream of the modern world with the outside world and being in partnership and we also need this we we truly also need this and so when i started connecting with manari he at first it was a really interesting place for me of not wanting to push too much of my agenda or you know not knowing how to how to interact with the dynamic and he made it really clear to me from from the start like we are a partnership you bring these certain you know this is a dream of mine i've always wanted to do i've always wanted to share on social media i've always wanted to be able to he actually told me that he had had many dreams and visions of being able to do healings online because he knows that he can heal people just through a dream so he's like if i can heal somebody through a dream I can definitely do healings like it doesn't need to be that somebody travels to me in person and sometimes telling somebody that they healed their dream is too freaky to their mind like that that doesn't work for a lot of people but um and he saw visions of how he could be doing that online but he had no idea how and so for me that was so obvious i was like great let's set you up with doing ceremonies and healings on zoom and we'll do this workshop and you know, the you shaking these leaves sitting in somewhere in Ecuador, somebody will feel that on a visceral level and transform and they can have a shift in their home in wherever in Europe, in the United States and South anywhere in South America, anywhere in the world. And so through this process of things that to me were so obvious and so simple for him, he had seen those visions, but he had no idea how to do that because these are not skills and tools that he was raised with. And so for him, this process has completely changed his life because it's also helped manifest a vision that he had been seeing but had no idea what to do. And because he is this wonderful healer and leader and person that many people put on a pedestal, nobody ever took the time to say, hey, let me teach you how to upload a video or let me teach you how to use Zoom or these you know, things that for, for many people feel really simple. It was a gateway or it was a block that he needed somebody to to reach out a hand and say like let's be partners and let's do this together and together we can create something really amazing and it's also been special for me to realize that manari is not supposed to be able to do every single thing on his own he is supposed to do his gift. He doesn't need to be able to like figure out how to send all the emails and set up the Zoom room and upload the recording and all the technical aspects. It's cool if he wants to learn and understand to feel empowered, but it actually is much more supportive to all of us to be a dynamic team and for him to do his gift, for me to work in my zone and for us to both be able to create a vision and manifest it together. And it really feels like the manifestation of that, the prophecy I was sharing of 
the two of us coming together. He has this amazing set of knowledge and wisdom and teachings and this passion, truly a passion and a calling to share that with the outside world, but doesn't have the skills or the knowledge from the modern the modern world cosmovision to know how to share that. And I have all these other gifts, but don't necessarily carry this lineage and this wisdom and this deep, deep relationship with the spirit world of this message I need to share to, to do anything with that. And it is the coming together that can create something miraculous. And for me, honors my background and my path and my knowledge of being, you know, growing up in this society here and him coming from that place. And I don't need to be him. I don't need to be an indigenous person or a shaman or having grown up in that environment. I can just be me and he can just be him, but together we can really create something very powerful. It's, it's really such a testament to you. Like a lot of times what the, like a common response is, well, this isn't working. So let's just get rid of it or let's throw it away. Or it's clearly bad at, at its root. And this is such a beautiful example of how you can take two things that are so different. And it would be very easy for one culture to say that doesn't work for us. We're not going to join with that, that, that culture, that other culture isn't working. And instead to be like, oh, this culture holds these gifts, this culture holds these, and together we can create something that neither one could have created on its own. So to really see the blessings and the beauty in each in each people, in each culture, and all that has been cultivated over the, the generations. So it's a beautiful example of the coming together and using creativity in that sense to make something that is in service to all pieces, all parts, and all people. The other thing about this, so there's there's a couple different places where like you've mentioned dreams, and there's both the individual dreams, the dreams that I go to sleep and I have at night, and then there is this global dream. And you've said like changing the dream of humanity, changing the dream of the modern world. So if we could start with the bigger dream and then go into the personal dream. And when I say start with, I'm thinking of something that I heard you say about John Perkins, which is along the lines of like the power that we have to change what we're living in by the, by the dream that we hold. So can you talk about what this means to dream a different dream and, and the power that that can have? And then we'll go into our personal dreaming. Yeah, I would love that. So my, a huge part of my nomadic journey, I chose, to, I, I already was started on the nomadic path, but as I mentioned it was very much following intuition and my mind had no clue what to do with it. I truly felt in the beginning, which was about three years ago, I'm so lost. I have no idea what to do. I feel so alone, but I know I'm in the right place and just trusting as each day goes by a clue. I'm waiting for the clue. What's the clue? And I feel that the first big clue that arrived to me was reading one book that was called The Soul of Money by Lynn Twist. And there is one quote in that book. And the quote was from John Perkins' book, The World Is As You Dream It. I have now read that book several times. And the concept of that book, which touched so deep into my heart, is that 
almost all indigenous communities, ancestral communities, all lineages back in the day and many communities still truly understand the power of dreams at night, but also casting forth a dream in the world. And it's only really this modern day culture that doesn't feel connected to that. However, we can see, for example, with marketing, we're constantly being pitched a dream of like, oh, you're going to have your dream life when you buy this house or get this cute bikini or whatever. Like then if that is your dream, we should have that dream. And in the book, he talks about that he was speaking to the shaman and said, you know, we're on this destructive path with humanity. How do we turn things around? And the shaman said to him, it is so simple. All you need to do is change the dream. All you need to do is dream a new dream. Your society has dreamed of more highways, more shopping centers, more construction, more buildings. So that's what you've created. And if you dream a new dream and you educate your children in a new way and they dream a new dream, which is protecting all, you know, taking actions that are on behalf of all animals and and species and beings and all of life, or I dream of, I'm gonna say some of my own dreams. I dream of, I don't think all of our cities are gonna disappear, but I dream of a Brooklyn and New York where my nieces live, my little nieces, and that in 20, 30 years, it's a food forest. So even though it's very much still a city, there is an investment that happens and a societal mind shift that changes. And all of the sidewalks are filled with plants and food and all the trees are fruit trees and all the rooftops are green rooftops. So everybody, even if you live in a city, can be a part of a local food system and economy and building connections in that way. So that's one tiny example, but it's saying my dream as Jessica Shear isn't more buildings and construction and more highways. I'm going to start dreaming a dream where people work together and connect over food and gardening. And if that's my dream, I will create that. We are incredibly powerful beings. And if we have a personal dream or a collective dream, that can shift. So it's basically the concept is it's so simple. All we have to do is write a new story and and it will happen. And And yeah. Well, and then are you just like you're holding that dream? Like that's the one that you keep seeing. That's one of them. And I've actually spent the time to I, I I write I journal about this often and I think about this often of what is my dream? You know, what are we if we're at point A right now, what is a vision that I could see in 30 years from now? I don't need to know how we get there, but I need to start allowing my mind to play with that reality of. Of what is this, you know, I think a lot of times we get stuck in and this can relate to on every level in business and life. We put these limitations and if we can play in the world of infinity, like if anything is possible and we're just playing for fun and playing make believe and pretend what would be our what would be the vision? Could there be a vision? And this again, it's like, who the hell knows? But could there be a vision where society's consciousness completely changes and we know that, you know, our behaviors and our life and our investment in the connectivity totally shifts. And then all of a sudden, all the plastic in the ocean shape shifts back into fish and coral reefs. I don't know if that can really happen, but I've imagined it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who knows? Like yeah. truly any anything can become a possibility. And I think this is something I've pitched, um, put out to my own family is like, I think it's really important that we do spend the time to think about 
what would my dream be? What is my dream for the next generation? What is my dream for seven generations down the line, which is what many indigenous communities think is they're not thinking for themselves or even for their kids. It's like, what is my actions now, my behaviors now, my lifestyle, my choices, our society's lifestyle and choices will affect seven generations down the line. What's how do we want the world to be then? And so therefore, how does everything shift and fall in line to get there? Right, right. So that's part of the power of holding that dream is that then the decisions that you make today are in reference to that dream of tomorrow. Yes. Yeah. And that also ties back to when I was mentioning in the tiny examples, but my choice of not wearing nail polish or makeup or things like that, those also were things that felt to me small personal actions to shift away from the current reality. And and I'm never hard and fast and like this needs to be forever, but more let me experiment with my life. But if I imagine a reality where all these little things like a nail polish bottle, never there's no more nail polish bottles going into the landfill, could we as a society live a world where nail polish isn't a thing anymore? <laughs> so yeah. it's, it's a fun, you know, an interesting interplay between casting these visions and also allowing ourselves to just be a part of a, you know, this world and dance and shift and change, but starting to think about what are my getting clear on like my values, my vision, and how can I be a part of that? And also how can I bring people into that? I can also see how that ties back into when you talk about how do we feel our connection to all that's happening and, and stay connected to our own joy and vibrancy. And it's like, yeah, if we're dreaming different dreams and then, and then living our life in like in, um, in the direction of those dreams, there's a tremendous amount of joy there. There's tremendous amount of personal power and, and vibrancy that comes from making those kinds of decisions that with that vision as, as the one that I'm seeing, I'm living into, I'm holding, I'm following. Totally. Yeah. That's beautiful. We're going to get into this last piece of uh, personal dreaming, because this is a big piece of both the work that you're doing through the dream world program and just the power of accessing the invisible world and one's own intuition, one's own being led, being guided in the same way that we spoke of in the beginning of how everything, the plants have like everything around us has this life, has this energy, and our dreams are a big piece of that. So just talk to me about, about what this means, this, how you would describe the dream world program and the power of our personal dreams as guides in our life. Sure. Manari has shared several times that in the spirit world, there's no such thing as a leader. And that it's in this material world, we love following leaders. We love following influencers or politicians or having a president or even, you know, he says, like, people like to call me a spiritual leader. And I'll use that title because that's how society relates to people. But in the spirit world, there's no leaders. We are our own leader. We receive our own guidance and we can look to other people for orientation. So I could go to him and say, hey, I need a little bit of orientation to redirect my path or guidance on this specific thing. But I, I feel the power of my own personal leadership. And he shares that through our dreams, we become our own leaders because we gather from the, that their cosmovision is that every night when we go to sleep, our body rests and our spirit returns 
to the dream world, which ultimately it's just all one world, but our spirit goes to the dream world and we receive information. We play out different dynamics. We get clues and guidance. Sometimes it's very specific and sometimes it's vague, but for what will happen the next day, what will happen in the next two weeks, what will happen in the next year. So we can have the knowledge that we need to prepare for our life. And if we're paying attention to those clues and we're listening to our dreams, which often can relate to our life. And there are dreams that are collective dreams. There are sometimes we dream things and it's for somebody else. It's information for somebody else that we receive or information for our country or our community or our world that we receive that can either directly be like, okay, I had this dream. I woke up, I remembered it, I analyzed it. I felt how I felt. And then I understand what actions I need to take in the jungle that can look like, and they very practically use this. And it's not just in his community, it's pretty much all indigenous communities and all ancestral communities in Europe and everywhere. Even my family come from the Jewish lineage. And I started thinking about does dreams relate to this, this religion that I've been raised in, and it totally does. There's biblical stories that the central theme of the biblical story is this person had a dream and they had a dream interpreter come and then the rest of the story plays out. And so I think like this concept and this value on dreams has always existed. It may have gotten lost in a lot of cultures, but still today in Minari's community, the practical application is, okay, if somebody's planning to go hunting the next day, they will dream to understand should I go hunting or will an accident happen? And then they'll wake up and say, okay, I know that I'm going to have a good hunting day or no, I should definitely stay home. Like don't leave the home. Something bad could happen. Or I had this dream. So it seems like this is a bad dream and something could happen to my child. So I'm going to be extra vigilant and watch my child today because something may come their way. And this was a clue and a guidance to prevent that. So it's the intuition, it's the self-leadership, it's all of the above. For me and my own personal life and what I've seen it play out for others who are going through this process, it's understanding relationships, it's understanding what might happen. Even for example, I actually did have, get in my first small car crash and I woke up in the morning and I had these turbulent dreams and I knew I probably should have taken the time to get quiet, to recenter, to have a really slow day, to probably cancel a handful of my plans. But I trudged through, I was like, I can't cancel my plans. I have to rush, I have to go do this. And I ended up getting in a small car crash. And it was such a reminder to me of, girl, do not <laughs> ignore your dreams, like pay attention. And I have many, I've personally, I've had dreams of realizing that um, you know, something was going on with a family member, or I had a dream that a friend was having fertility challenges. And when I contacted that friend, they told me, oh, I just had a miscarriage, you know, various things that to me, some of them feel minor, but I think it's the continued getting the feedback of you're on the right track. Keep listening to this because it will guide you. It will give you clues about your professional life, your relationships, I think often in our Western society, we are so busy, even with the slowing down that's happened, we're so busy that a lot of times we might have stress dreams and the very simple interpretation can be, be really conscious the next day, slow down, like take things off your list, narrow down what's happening because there's too much. Maybe our body and mind aren't so connected or there's too many active thoughts and something 
could come our way. And to give a little context as as you open that space for that, Manari, with the, as a team, we've launched a, a four-week program called Dream World. And in this four-week course, it's two live sessions a week that Manari walks the group through the Sapara, specifically through the Sapara lineage, their understanding of where dreams come from and how we can begin to dive into understanding our dreams. So in giving examples of like, when this happens, this kind of action happens in your dream, it means the thing will happen the next day. So be prepared or this type of dream, it will manifest in the next two weeks or six months. And that timeline helps us basically gives our body and mind a chance to prepare ourselves. So if maybe a giant life event will happen. We won't be ready overnight, but we can start emotionally preparing and knowing something's going to come my way or I need to change my behavior so that I can avoid this giant thing that's coming. And we've had students from all over the world, almost everybody says, you know, there's many people that come into the program saying, I never remember my dreams. I don't even think I dream. And we've also had people who've been very deeply connected and dream journaling for 10 years. And it's really beautiful to see how everybody's dream world opens up in different ways. And often I think I'm like, I'm only in kindergarten. I <laughs> feel like I'm just at the very beginning of starting to scratch the surface, but I know how deeply profound this is. And I know that it will be continue to be a deeply profound tool for this new chapter of life for this dialogue with the invisible world or where we're being guided, both personally and as a collective. Yeah. And you just answered a couple of questions that I was thinking about, like people, if you say, I don't remember my dreams, or how do I know how to interpret them? Because I imagine that's so personal. So how do I learn what my dreams mean if I've spent my whole life dreaming, but not, not paying any attention to what they might mean? So that's all part of that. In the course, we do a tiny layer of that because it is so vast. Um, one tool I can share to everybody that's listening is even if we can't understand the full meaning, one tool that Minari shares with everybody is to notice how you feel. So notice the emotions and notice the sensations in the in the body and you can notice it in your dream and you can also notice it when you wake up, like allowing a very gentle wake up and noticing, am I waking up feeling anxious in my dream was, did it feel stressful? Did it feel calm? And then using that information, maybe we can't understand the full meaning quite yet, but the understanding the sensations of how we feel can help guide what the next step or like how to move through that day. Um, we definitely do dive into general themes of if this happens in a dream, pretty much this is what it means. And Minari also shares that for his culture, one thing could mean something, but in the modern world, Cosmovision, it means something else. So for them, partying means one thing, a party in a dream for a Western person could be very joyful. And so really understanding that we, we kind of can create our own scripts and actually we can start to notice if we really begin to pay attention and see, okay, I had this dream. I don't know what it means. Let me pay attention to my day. I know it's the type of dream that will manifest today. So let me actually be conscious through my day and realize what happened and do a reflection at the end of the day and realize, oh, that thing happened in my dream 
this is how it played out. So when that shows up in my, my dream, it probably will mean that this is what will come in my day. And we can start to build our own dictionary and our own understanding just through practice and experience. That's great. That's great. Okay. We're going to go into this very last part. Uh, first, uh, to let people know. So again, I'm going to actually have you do this dress, even though I normally do it because there's a lot of different places that people can go. So to learn more about you, to learn more about the dream world program, can you give us the different, different places and it'll all be listed in the show notes. So if you can't keep up as you're listening, it's all, it's all listed. Yes. So for me, and I would love to connect my website is say yes with And my Instagram is at say yes with Jess. For Minari, who is the leader of this program and a really dear, wonderful human leader, activist, etc. His website is Minari, M-A-N-A-R-I, Ushigwa, U-S-H-I-G-U-A, MinariUshigwa.com. And his Instagram is at MinariUshigwa. And if you'd like to learn more about the Dream Program, the website is DreamWorldProgram.com. And the Instagram handle is at dream world program. Great. And then the next piece um, is a gratitude. And then my last question. So every, every interview, I like to share a gratitude that I have. And there's for you, I mean, one of the things that is really magical that I just adore about being in conversation with you is how you can talk about these really deep topics and have, it's like the vision I have is like this pixie fairy, just kind of jumping around, like sprinkling dust, like fairy dust, because there's so much joy. There's so much lightness. And you're talking about things that we're all looking at in often from a place of a lot of fear. So I love how you are bringing that energy into this conversation and how it's clearly the energy of who you are. It's just, it's beautiful. And then the other gratitude I have is the example that you share with us through the way that you live of this real deep attention to this inner world, this unshakable world that we started with the commitment that you have to that world and then what has resulted from that commitment is changing things like it's it's changing people and changing directions and it's just so powerful and it speaks to also what you said about the power of an individual how we have no we're so powerful how you're using the power of your life to live into the dreams that you hold is is really a beautiful, beautiful thing to behold. So thank you so much, Jess. Thank you, Daphne. I've loved this conversation. I have too. Oh my goodness. Um, and I end with one question. And I, the question that I have is as we sit here at this time and people are in all different places, how we begin and I know you're probably going to say it's really very simple, but how we begin to dream the world that we want to, to live into. Hmm. 
I feel it's very personal for each person. I know for me, it's often is actually just carving out the time to journal, to start imagining, to have conversations, to think about the most inspired, beautiful vision for down the line, not necessarily tomorrow, next week, et cetera, but really many years down the line, maybe it's in our next lifetime, <laughs> what the world can look like and play and get into kid mode and play in the imagination space. And on a different level, I also feel as we've both touched on the listening, listening is such a sacred and important practice to not always fill every moment of our life, but listen and carve out. I try to actually every day carve out at least 20 minutes for listening where I sit in quiet and set a 20 minute timer just to create the space to receive information and to let the intuition guide on where I can focus my energies or if a vision wants to come to me because often our days are so full that there isn't even the space to receive the downloads. So I try to practice carving out that space. And I do feel another layer too is, is practicing the dream process, truly enjoying the night and letting our spirit rest, letting our spirit journey and travel. And that can look very different for many people. But for me, one of the simplest practices is doing any sort of ritual to clear our mind and to close the day and understand that the day has completed, handle whatever needs to be handled for to be able to go to bed in a peaceful way and enter realize that we're entering into this next portal fully enter into that space and allow ourselves to discover it allow ourselves to have all the experiences and know that our life is so multi-dimensional and that we get to have these really miraculous cool journeys in the night space and wake up and take a moment to have a soft arrival to the day it could be just lying in bed for an extra one moment and before our mind starts getting active, letting that softness exist, letting the space exist where we can kind of be in between sleep and in between day and slowly our open our eyes, slowly come to space, maybe writing down our dreams on our phone, on a notebook, or just re recapping it in our mind and giving a little space to honor that journey that we took, which happens every night and seeing how that can support and guide the day. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Jess. Thank you, Daphne. I'd love to share with the group, which I have not shared the group, the crew, the friends, that our next Earth of Dream World begins on Tuesday, October 5th. It's a four week live course. People can people do participate live and many people participate via the recordings, but are energetically connected in. And for this community, for anybody that chooses to hop into this journey, you can use a code beyond 10 B E Y O N D and then the number 10 one zero to get 10% off the program tuition. Beautiful. That's great. Anything, any last thing? I love everyone. <laughs> Brilliant. I, think, <laughs> I feel like one of my biggest 
reminders the last several days is that when we truly tap into that space and we truly feel that infinite connection and realize like we are all one human family everyone listening is my cousin is my is my a part of my web um that our heart just opens and there's so much love to be shared and experienced and knowing that it it is us but it's also a reflection of the beauty in the world around us ah, thank you thank you so much If you'd like to be part of a more intimate conversation with Jess, she will join us in November and within. November, a time of the year we are often focused on upcoming holidays and consumerism. Instead, Jess will take the time to dive into the topic of reciprocity with us, how to cultivate it in our lives, and the profound impact this practice can have on who we are and the world that we live in. If you're interested in the Dream World program, you can go to dreamworldprogram.com and enter beyond 10, the number 10, at the checkout for 10% off. And you can find all of the links in the show notes as well. If this conversation has moved you or inspired you in some way, let the words and the wisdom settle into your body, to your heart, to your mind, to your being. And if you feel called to share this episode with someone else, please do. For all the show notes and past episodes and to learn about all the offerings, you can go to daphnecone.com or withincommunity.com. If you want to subscribe to this podcast, you can do that over on iTunes or Spotify, and you can review it over at iTunes. Thank you for listening. <laughs>